0: And go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, now we come to the time of our service, Lord, where we open your word. Lord, may we come with expectant hearts. Lord, that we may hear your voice speak to us today. Instruct us, O Lord, on how we may live Glorify your name. And let that as well as we obey your word, let that be another offering, another sacrifice, another act of worship. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, we're finishing up the story of Lot there. Genesis chapter 19, today we were looking at verses 30 through 38. Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38. Today we're looking at leaving a legacy, leading, leaving a legacy as we uh, look at this well, let's be honest, a difficult passage in Scripture. But if you found your place there, if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring for our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring for our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus the two daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name ben ammi He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Amen. May the Lord have blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. You may be seated. This is a most difficult passage, uh, one of those that's, that's hard to, to handle, hard to read and, and hear. And, uh, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you, you, you hate to go to these passages, but when you preach through Scripture, verse by verse, line by line, You come to these and you can't just skip over them. And so this is where we are today. And as we look at this, there is a very important lesson for us to learn from this section of Scripture. I mean, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. So he has a message for us from this passage that we see here. And today we look at leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. You know, in life... We can do a lot of great things in this life. We can build great businesses. Uh, We can accumulate great wealth. We can do all kinds of of great service to our community. But you know, there's one thing as a pastor, I've learned uh, doing funeral after funeral after funeral. No matter how big of a business you may build, no matter how much wealth you may accumulate within a few years after your death, all of those things are going to be gone. They're going to be gone. But if you want to leave a legacy, a legacy is what you teach your children. A legacy is what they learn from you. A legacy is what they take from your life, and, and they apply it to their lives. And not only that, but then they go and teach that same very same thing to your children's children and your children's children's children. So today, as we look at the passage, here's the message that I want us to hear. Parents, leave a legacy. Teach your children to pursue godliness by living a godly life in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Parents, grandparents, leave a legacy. Teach your children to pursue godliness above all other things by you living a godly life in Christ Jesus. So let's look at this passage this morning. The first thing that we notice here, or the first thing that we need to remember here, that Lot lived a compromised life. Lot lived a compromised life. Let's go back and review some of this. And if you haven't been here uh, for, for this series, then, then this is for you as well. Lot was uh, a nephew to Abraham. We're studying the life of Abraham, and, and Lot's in there. He is a nephew of Abraham. He lived with Abraham and, and the whole family there in Ur of the Chaldees. And when Lot was called by God to go to the land of promise, uh, Lot's brother had died, so Abraham, excuse me, Lot's father had died, so Abraham brought Lot in. He kind of adopted, adopted him as his own son and, and took him with him. And so Lot was there with Abraham, and they came to the land of promise. And God had blessed Abraham greatly. And Lot received those same blessings. Until it got to that point in Scripture where it tells us that the possessions of Abraham and the possessions of Lot had, had become so great. Their herds, their, their, their sheep, all of that had grown to such a point that the land couldn't bear them. They, they couldn't stay together. Their herdsmen were, were fighting amongst themselves, trying to fight for the best pasture lands and, and all of this. And, and so they had to separate And you remember Abraham, he he came to Lot and he said, Lot, dear nephew, look at the land before us. Look at the land of promise, the land that God has called us to to sojourn in. Look at the land before you, and you just decide which way you want to go. If you go right, I'll go left. And if you go left, then I'll go right. But you just you just go in the land of promise and we'll separate. But Lot, instead of looking at the land before him, he looked over to the valley. He saw the beautiful grasslands of the valley. And he saw all the the riches and the wealth of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot, instead of choosing the, the land of promise that God had brought them to, Lot chose to he lured away by the world's enticements. And he settled over near Sodom. And then last week we saw he was not just near Sodom, he was in Sodom. Drawn in by the ways of Sodom. He lived a compromised life there. We saw last week that, that Lot he had still he had gained much from his time with Abraham. Uh, he had access to knowledge of, of the Creator God. He knew God. He knew what, what pleased God and what honored God and what dishonored God. So last week we saw him. He was, a in, in comparison to all the other Sodomites, he was a righteous man. He, he wanted to take care of the disadvantaged as these travelers, these strangers, came into Sodom. He took them into his house, perhaps he knew what the people of Sodom, Sodom did to strangers, and he took them into his house. But because of his compromised life, his morality was, it was all messed up. He had the skewed sense of morality, so to the point where, yes, he, he wanted to take care of the disadvantaged, but he willfully offered his daughters as prostitutes to the men of Sodom to protect two strangers. So he lived a compromised life. And he taught this compromised life to his family. But God had mercy upon Lot and and God brought Lot out of the city when God came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the, the valley. God was gracious to Lot. He had to literally pick him up the angels had to just grab him by his hand and and drag him out of the city to get him out of the city he he clung to the city that much they come to came to the the city of zor which was a small small little village there in the valley and I told Lot, said, Lot, you need to go to the hills. But Lot said, no, I, I'm just, I'm too much of a city boy now, God. I, I can't go, I can't survive up in the hills. Just let me, let me go to Zor, this small city. Let me go there. There's not many people there. Just let me go there and, and keep me safe there. And God granted Lot that one thing. He said, all right, I'll let you go to Zor. Stay there in Zor. And I'll, I'll, I'll pass over Zor. I'll save it on your account, but I'll destroy everything else because of their wickedness. So Lot went to Zor. Of course, we saw last week his wife clinging to the things of the world. She looked back and longing for Sodom, and God turned her into a pillar of salt. But here Lot is now in Zor, and floods of God's wrath is flowing around him all the other cities in the valley are being destroyed by fire from heaven and Lot is fearful so instead of staying there as God had told him to do living in fear he now he takes off to the hill country now he goes to live in seclusion, hide away as a hermit, fearful for his life. See, that's what happens for, with us when we cling on to the things of this world. When this world starts to fall apart, we just, all we have is fear. That's all we have. But if we fear God, and revere God, and trust God, there is no fear. But Lot, he clung to the things of this world and was consumed by fear. How we see that in our own lives. How often is the, the, those who, who cling on to the things of this world they cling on to the things of this world. And when, when danger comes, when, when something threatens to take away the things of this world, what happens? Let's do a little comparison. Joe, Joe was a, a man. He, he had great ambition in life. So he went to college. He, he got a good, good education, and, and he was wanting to, to make his mark in this world. And he did. I mean, he graduated top of his class. Went out and got a a great job. I mean, he had many job offers there waiting for him. And so he took a a great job. He was making lots of money. And and he was starting to, to just be somebody in his community, right? He was on top. The Joneses, you know, they wanted to keep up with him, right? He had it all. He had money. A big house. Fancy cars. But then, rumors started to rumble that the company he was working for was in a bad situation and and there was a chance that uh, some layoffs might come. Joe began to be afraid. Anxiety began to build inside him because, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for this house if I lose my job? How am I going to pay for these cars if I lose my job? What's the community going to think of me if I lose my job? He lived in fear. Bob, on the other hand, Bob was much like Joe. Bob, he he wanted to he's successful he he wanted to to get a good job and provide for his family so he worked hard in school he got a good education he he too graduated top of his class and when he got out of school he got a, a good solid job he provided for his family he he got into church very involved in church freely giving to church whenever things were needed tithing regularly Giving to the mission's offerings. He loved the Lord. Rumors came that the company might downsize. Bob might lose his job. But Bob has been building a a life of faith, of trusting in God, fearing the Lord above the world. And what did Bob do when rumors that he might lose his job? What was his response the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. The Lord has provided me with this. He'll provide me with another job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see the difference? When we trust in the Lord, when we surrender to the Lord, when we serve the Lord with all of our hearts and all of our minds, with all of our strength, how fear just fades away. Yet if we're like Lot and we cling to the things of this world, when threat comes to the things of this world then all we have is fear dear friend learn from lot's mistake pursue godliness with all your heart not worldliness pursue godliness with all your heart not worldliness give yourself to god put god first We have to be in the world, but Scripture tells us we're not to be of the world. We're to live in obedience to God. We're to live in service to God. And when we fear God and serve God, there's nothing to fear. Doesn't mean there won't be hard times. Sure, all of us are going to face hard times. Nevertheless, if we trust in the Lord... We trust in the Lord. We know he is for us. And he will bring us through. And he will bless us. So pursue godliness with all your heart. Not worldliness. Well, Lot's children, they followed Lot's lead, didn't they? Lot's children followed his lead. They clung to worldliness. Worldliness even as we we look at this passage, we see that present here. Look there in verse 31. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is, excuse me, our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. You see that, that focus there? There's not a man in all the earth to come to us in the manner of the earth and the manner of the world. Their focus is on the world because that's what Lot has taught them. They're worried about doing things the world's way. They're not trusting in God, they're looking to the world for their instruction. And look, they, we have to, to realize here that even the girls, just like Lot, had good intentions of, of saving the strangers there, they have a skewed sense of morality. They want to give offspring to their father. That was an honorable thing in this custom, in this time. To be fruitful and multiplying and and to to leave your father uh, children and inheritance of people. That was a good thing. That was an honorable thing in this society. So they had good intentions, but they have a skewed sense of morality. And so we see that repetition there of the daughters, firstborn, younger, daughter, firstborn, younger, daughter, with father, 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 father. You see, they had a skewed sense of morality. They want to do a good thing. They want to provide offspring. But they do a most grievous sin. They commit a most grievous sin, and they go in and they lay with their father. They commit incest with their father. To do this deed that they want to do. They followed Lot's lead. They're just repeating what Lot did. They got good intentions. They got a skewed sense of morality. We need to know this, dear friend. know that your children follow your example more than they listen to your words. Your children follow your example, your actions far more than they will ever follow your words. Lot here likely taught his children morality, godly morality. We saw him at least have some sense of godliness, and surely he taught his children that share with you last week I believe Lot he was a, he believed in the promise of God that God had given Abraham that's why Peter identifies him as a righteous man 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 7 through 8 if God rescued righteous Lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked for as the righteous man, as Lot lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. I believe Lot was, was a follower of God. but he clung to the world. and he allowed the world to influence how he lived. He allowed the world to compromise his morality. And though he taught his children godly morality, they followed his example, not his word. I had a father once come to me, yeah, I'm about to meddle now. A father once came to me, he was distressed over his adult son not being interested in church anymore. He said, we've, we've tried everything. We've talked to him. We've prayed for him. We, we pushed him to, you need to get back in church. You got children now. You need to get in church. You need to be involved in church. You need to teach them godly ways. What's wrong? What are you doing? He would not get in church. We, we taught him. We taught him to be involved. But a little digging revealed more to the picture. Come to find out when their son was a boy, he was very good in baseball. And so he got uh, selected to be on one of these traveling teams. Yep, I'm meddling. He got selected to be on one of these traveling teams. And so, uh, come to find out, when, when baseball season came about, the family wasn't in church. The family was out playing baseball. And when hunting season came around, we had to miss a few Sundays for hunt, hunting and fishing. And so, when you take a few days off, for, or take about three months off for baseball, You take a couple of Sundays off for whatever season be in. Deer season, duck season, turkey season. Then you take a a few Sundays off for vacation. Then you take a few Sundays off for fishing trips. Guess what? You've spent over half of the year out of church. Yes, they said, son, church is important. God is important. We should serve God. They told him that. But with their actions, they said, son, God is second. Baseball is first. Hunting is first. Fishing is first. Whatever is interesting to you, that's what's first. You can put God on a back burner. So now, son has learned the lesson well. And so everything that comes into his life is far more important than God and church. And so no matter what those parents tried to tell their son, now they have taught him. The church is really not important. God is really not important. Serving God is not what's all about. What are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your grandchildren? I have another friend. Praise God, his daughter plays softball, and he was sharing with me. The coach came to him and said, "Yeah, he." The coach came up and said, "Yeah, we have practice Sunday, cause we got a game on Monday." He said, "Well, we're not going to be there, brother. We're going to be in church, but but we got a game Monday. We got a practice Sunday. I don't care, brother. We're going to be in church." Well, if, if she don't come to practice, she can't play. You know what he so, told him? She can live her life without softball. But she can't get to eternity without Christ. I wish more parents would learn that lesson. We're far too concerned about the things of this world with baseball and football and and hunting and fishing and whatever else you want to throw in there. And we need to be more interested in godly things. We need to be appointing our kids to Christ. Not all the idols that this world has to offer. I fear as we look at the church we have missed a generation because far too often we've taught the worldly things are important of godly thing your children follow your example more than they listen to your words lots failure had lasting consequences. Lot's failure had lasting consequences. There in the last couple of verses there, verse 37, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Benamai. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day these two daughters bore these two sons and it's important that the scripture lists those two sons and and what those two sons became the nations that came from them because as you go on through scripture you start seeing these two sons these two nations appear there in scripture moab literally means from father And Moab was the father of the Moabites. The Moabites didn't come to worship God. The Moabites instead worshipped the idol Chamesh. It was a vile, ugly God. Moab, we see there in in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 22 through 24 and, and 25. There you see the story of Balak and Balaam. Balak was the king of the Moabites who hired Balaam, a priest, a a kind of a prophet, if you will, to come and curse the children of God as they came out of Egypt and they were headed to the promised land. Balak wanted to curse them, and so he brought Balaam to come curse the children of God. But when God would not allow the children, the people of Israel, to be cursed by Balaam Balaam instead gave Balak some advice. If you want to curse the people of Israel, then here's what you do. You get them chasing after your idols. You get them chasing after your gods and God will curse them. Numbers chapter 25 starting in verse 1 reads, "While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab." "...these invited the people to sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Balaam of, uh, excuse me, to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel.'" And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those, who, those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. You see, Moab became a stumbling block to the people of Israel, to God's people. Causing them to chase after their worldly idols. The Ammonites were no better. The Ammonites, they worshipped the god uh, ca- called Molech, or in some places he's called uh, Milcom. Most vile idol. Molech required the sacrifice of babies. A demonic, evil idol. Again, the Ammonites were a stumbling block to the people of Israel. Fast forward in history to Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. We see, see the reign of King Solomon, David's son. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonians, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn, your, your, turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were, were princes and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, that is Melech, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built high places for Kimesh, the abomination of, the Moab, of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountains east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. These children of Lot, the nephew of Abraham, became a stumbling block. Their legacy, they became a stumbling block to the godly. Dear friend, leave a legacy of godliness that will live on in your children and your children's children. Leave a legacy of godliness that will live on in your children and your children's children. Don't leave a legacy of worldliness. Because that's what your children's going to pass on to your grandchildren. But if you're a godly person, if your heart solely chases after God, your children will see that. They will learn from that. And the chances are, they might just follow that example. You can live a legacy of God children and children's children who becomes a stumbling block to this world or you can leave a legacy of children and grandchildren who will be a blessing to God and a light of the gospel several years ago a man did a study he compared two men Jonathan Edwards And another man he named Max Jukes. I don't think that was his actual name, but that's the name he gave this man. Of course, Jonathan Edwards was a godly man. Early in his life, he had determined, resolved to live every day as if in the next moment he might meet his creator. To live every moment for the glory of God in Christ. God used him greatly in his time of ministry. He was a great writer and a great preacher involved in the first great awakening that uh, transformed this nation in its very early stages. The man who did this study, looking at the godly legacy of Jonathan Edwards, (coughs) excuse me, He found that from Jonathan Edwards came one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries of the gospel. But Max Jukes was of the opposite sorts. He's described as a a godless man who was a, a hard drinker, an idler, he was lazy, irreverent, and uneducated. And from Max Jukes, his descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers with over 2,300 years living in the poorhouses. 400 who were completely physically wrecked by their indulgent living. It was estimated that Max Jukes' descendants cost the state more than $1,250,000. One left a godly legacy. A legacy that blessed our nation. One left a godless legacy. That was a drain on society. What kind of legacy will you leave? What kind of legacy will you leave? Will you leave a godly legacy? Will will your children look at your life and see Christ in your life? Will they learn the gospel from you? Or will they see worldliness? Will they chase after the world because of the life that you lived before them? godly or godless a life in Christ or a life of damnation dear friend leave a legacy of godliness chase after Christ with all your heart, soul mind and strength let your children see you humble before the throne of god's grace let them see you treasure christ above everything else and pray they see you Heavenly Father. Lord, we confess that it is so easy, so easy to get lured away from serving You, lured away from chasing after You with all that we have. So many distractions. So many temptations. And oh, how this flesh longs for the things of this world. But Lord, oh, let us see the glory of Christ. Let us see His beauty. Let us see the great value knowing Jesus. Jesus. As Paul, we might count all things as loss for the glory of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, and being found in Him, not having a righteousness in ourselves, but a righteousness that comes from Christ alone. Father, there are those today in this place that you have drawn here to hear this message. They wouldn't be here if you hadn't drawn them here to hear this message. Touch their hearts. Let them see the foolishness of chasing after the world. And give their hearts solely chasing after you. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.